This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us here on Power Lunch. It is Lightning Power Play here. Greg Linelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Versnick is our producer. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, senior hockey writer for NHL.com. Dan Rosen will be joining us in about 20 minutes or so. We'll get to some questions from you that we didn't get to last couple of days. And uh, the hockey season got back with a couple of games last night that we can touch on as well. But let me bring in the radio voice of the Lightning, uh, Dave Mishka. Mish, good to be with you again. And Lightning now practicing a couple of days until I think a much anticipated game against the Colorado Avalanche. What a way to, to kind of get back in the swing of things than to uh, go against one of the better teams in the league. And probably a good test for both teams right off the bat. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to be hearing about that from both sides. And as we talked about Last week, both teams will have gone since February 1st, which is when they play their last game. So there may be a little bit of rust, if that's the right word, or just getting back up to pace of play in the first little bit on Thursday. But I think it'll be a fairly high-intensity game. That would be my expectation. I think both teams are going to be up for it. Yeah, and I would be interested to see the practices for some of these teams coming back before they start playing, how intense they are to kind of get their legs back in game shape for that first game back, and we'll see how that uh, plays out. Just looking at the standings briefly here, uh, Toronto did play last night and uh, got a nice win um, against Carolina in overtime 4-3 and we were talking about them before we came on the airwaves Toronto right now 43 games in 63 points 733 points percentage they've won six in a row kind of I don't know quietly just moving along but you know for them they haven't really been able to get beyond Tampa Bay or Florida recently and I think that speaks more to where those two teams are than Toronto but uh, Carolina, only 43 games played, partner, and 65 points. They have been, you know, I think along with the Panthers and maybe slightly to a lesser extent Tampa Bay, pretty impressive already through a good portion of the hockey schedule. I don't want to say those three are the favorites heading into this this second half of the season and into the playoffs, but I, I don't know if there are three better teams in the NHL right now. And one question I do want to ask Dan, when you look at the Eastern Conference in general, you know, can you make a strong case or a decent case that the eight teams right now currently locked into a playoff spot have at least a decent chance of making a long run in the playoffs? And I I, I think that's worth debating. I think we obviously don't know what the injuries are going to look like and COVID protocols, but you know, I, I think we have a pretty good indication of, of where these teams are and, and how good they are at this point. And there is some decent separation between Boston and Detroit, that last wild card spot. And Boston has four games in hand on Detroit. But the bottom of the East, not great, but certainly partner the, the top eight, as impressive as I think we've seen in, in quite some time. Yeah, this is this is going to be a really tough road to the Stanley Cup final. Whatever team gets to the Stanley Cup final out of the East will have earned it. Yes. 
I think that there's no question that they will have defeated three really top-end opponents. And so now you kind of get into the, and maybe we can start doing this as as we head into the second half, Greg, the Lightning already in the second half, but but as we accelerate toward the end of the regular season, looking at how these teams are doing it, and maybe to the extent teams have questions, what questions need to be answered. And we've talked a bit about the Panthers, and I think you fairly have brought up multiple times, like until they do something in the playoffs and show they can win a series where a lot of the games are low scoring, those questions may not get answered. Is Bobrovsky going to be able to play the way he did when he was a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2019 when they beat the Lightning and gave the Bruins a really good series in the second round? Can they outscore any problems they might have defensively? I think those are legitimate questions that the Panthers – may not be able to answer until we get into a playoff series. The team you mentioned, though, Toronto, you were talking more about Carolina, but Toronto beat Carolina last night. I'm looking at the Leafs, and I know that the perception is that they're all offense and no defense. They actually have better team defensive numbers than both the Lightning and the Panthers, which may be a little bit surprising when you look at that number. Now, they're not like in a top five spot, but... They are keeping the puck out of the net more than I think the perception is because you think of the Leafs and you're like, they're all offense and they haven't been able to to play a team game that, that's going to bring them success in the playoffs. It looks like they're they're defending better this year based on their overall goals against per game numbers. But the number that jumps out at me, Greg, is power play. They are currently at 30.3% on the power play. Now, remember we were talking about Edmonton in October. The Oilers were up at like 50%. I'm like, that's not really sustainable. Usually you kind of regress to the mean or at least closer to the mean, and you're not going to be up at 50% as the season gets going. But if you can be in the high 20s or low 30s, that is exceptionally good. Exceptionally good. Yeah. And I think the question then for the Leafs is, as they head into the playoffs, if they're going to have fewer power play chances, which is generally what people expect in the playoffs, what will that do to the way they are constructing their wins? Now, they may have to rely more on five-on-five offense, and their five-on-five offense is pretty good. They're, They're... in the black, let's say, their 1.21 is their 5-on-5-4 five five, against, meaning they're scoring more goals 5-on-5 five five than they are allowing. And that number is right where the Lightning are, basically. But I think that's a fair question to ask about the Leafs, that it, the Leafs opponent will go into that series saying, got to stay out of the box against these guys. Can't give Matthews the extra space on the power play. Can't give Tavares the extra space on the power play. Can't let Marner shoot on the power play. Keep Nylander off the ice when it's five on four. Play this series five on five and take our chances. And they may run into a team or teams that are able to limit the number of times they get a power play. How will they respond to that? They may respond really well. But I'm just looking at kind of how these teams are having success. What are they doing well? And the Leafs are doing a lot of things well. 
But that 30.3% of the power play really jumps out. Now, you can have only a handful of power play chances relative to what you're used to and still score on the power play, and that can help you win games in the playoffs. We've seen the Lightning do that over the past couple of years. But I think it's no question whether the Lightning see the Leafs in the first round, the Panthers see the Leafs in the first round, the Bruins see the Leafs in the first round, or there's some crossover opponent that's going to see the Leafs. Whoever that opponent is, I can guarantee you right now, they are going to say, got to stay out of the box against these guys, Well, there's which is no what doubt. a lot of opponents say about the Lightning, particularly yes. when Kucherov is is healthy and, and able to play in power play. I think when you're built like the Leafs, it's just inevitable. You have to have your stars perform at a very high level in the playoffs. It doesn't mean they have to do it every single game, but I think guys like Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, those guys are, are going to have to be steady, if not spectacular, if they want to make a decent run in the playoffs. And I think that's fair. Mitch Marner's playing very well. I mean, these are these are point-per-game guys, and the Maple Leafs are paying these guys a lot of money to produce. So I, I think that's fair. For me... And what is very interesting looking at his record the last two years since becoming basically a starter in the NHL, what do you have in net with Jack Campbell? Because Jack Campbell, Mish, if you take a look at his last 54 games played, that would come out to 53 games started, he's won 38, and he's lost nine. Mm -hmm. Now, again, regular season, when I'm looking at those numbers, he's 30 years old. There was a lot of talk when he was in, you know, L.A. that this is a guy that maybe showed some flashes of brilliance, but you know, couldn't put it together. I mean, last year was three and four in the playoffs, uh, seven game series, as we know, 1.81 goals against. I don't know enough about Jack Campbell to say I think he could go on a tremendous run in the playoffs, but it, those numbers stand out and they catch your attention. In fact, when you really look at the last or, or the top 10 goaltenders right now in the league, when you start looking at goals against and, and save percentage, I mean, three of the 10 are coming out of that Atlantic division, which is pretty impressive. And, you know, Anderson has played very well, or Anderson's in the Metro. Anderson has played very well uh, for Carolina, but coming from Toronto, there was you know some knock on him. Did he falter a bit in the playoffs? That m might have been more of a team thing than Anderson, but he has certainly put it, the Hurricanes on his back and has played exceptionally well. Campbell, it's a little bit more unknown with what you have, which makes, I think, Toronto uh, intriguing in the playoffs. Anderson has more of a track record and hasn't been able to break through as much over the last few years in the playoffs, but has always been considered a pretty steady goaltender. And Carolina and Toronto, high expectations again this year, but it's interesting the goaltenders that are leading them to hopefully, for their sake, a long playoff run. I just I don't know what to make of that goaltending situation, except possibly there are some unknowns and there are some, there are some question marks for obvious reasons. Well, for the guys that just haven't had a lot of playoff experience, like Jack Campbell, I think those questions are going to remain until they have more of a resume built up. And in terms of NHL playoff games played, playoff experience. And then you can start to form an opinion. Right. I think for the Panthers, Bobrovsky has that. And 
more often than not, he has not played as well in the playoffs as he has in the regular season. Now, some of that, you know, the teams that he was on, when they got to the playoffs, they might have been a little outmatched outside of that 2019 series where, you know, they had a lot of unexpected success. But, you know, Columbus had made the playoffs prior to their upset of the Lightning and had gone out in the first round. You know, one year they had to draw the Penguins. One year they drew the Capitals, who went on to win. Both teams went on to win the Stanley Cup. In 2017, it was the Penguins. In 2018, it was the Capitals. And then, of course, in 2021, as a member of the Florida Panthers, they lost to the Lightning, who went on to win the Stanley Cup. So they've had some tough, tough matchups, they being the teams that Bobrovsky has played on. But I, I would put Bobrovsky in a way different category than Campbell in that I guess we could say we have questions about the goaltending for both these teams, but the, the questions about Campbell are more along the lines of what is he going to do in these situations because we just don't have enough of a sample size. Like he did lose three in a row to the Canadians last year, but his overall numbers were quite good. I mean, you just read them in the playoffs. So was it on him? I mean, I kind of felt like Price had an outsized role in Montreal's comeback. So maybe it was a situation of Campbell was good, just Price was a better in those last three games after the Leafs went up 3-1. But that's where we just don't have enough info about this guy in that situation. We're going to get more because his team is going to make the playoffs. And barring an injury, he's going to be the starter. Bobrovsky is different. I mean, we heard Phil talk about this when he joined us last Friday. He's like, if Bobrovsky plays like he did in 2019, the Panthers are going to be in good shape. How good was he? But the other years where Bobrovsky has been in the playoffs – that has not been the case. And that was a series, too. I, I think we answered this question from somebody who tweeted at the show, or I, I might have brought it up when we were discussing what's made Tampa Bay so successful over the last couple of years. That might be the last time I can remember maybe another goaltender outplaying Vassy in a series. And ironically, it's the last series the Lightning lost. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bobrovsky was really good. And, and I thought Vassy had his moments in that game. He just wasn't as dominant in that series and I, I think you could probably make the case the lightning weren't as well for various reasons but that that might have been the last series where the goaltending edge went to the other team and I, it's really you know shocking to say that out loud but I, I think that series played out in addition to other areas where the lightning faltered in favor uh, of mm-hmm. Columbus which was pretty interesting which leads us to this question uh, partner that we got from Jason. He said, guys, is there any part of the Lightning's game that needs to be upgraded as the playoffs approach? Well, is he talking about like personnel in the trade deadline or team play? I, I, I want to say probably team play, but that might trickle into personnel. And let me let me try and answer it, hopefully, with what he's, he's trying to ask here, Jason. I, I think the Lightning might like to add another veteran player, whether that's at the forward position or on the back end. But let's stick with the forward position. Somebody who might be pretty consistent in the face-off circle. 
think the Lightning are in the middle of the pack, Mish, in faceoffs. I think they're 15th right now in the NHL. I think all things considered, would you like to have a, another security blanket uh, with a guy who's able to win some faceoffs consistently that's not going to cost you a ton? Probably we're looking more at a rental. I, I think that could help. Probably somebody also that can kill penalties if need be. I don't think you're looking at anything high-end unless you know Julian Breezewell gets creative and really does something to change the, the complexion of the team, which I don't think he's going to do. But I think when we look at at the Lightning, for me, understanding reasonably what they have to work with here regarding the cap and moves that they can make, I, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing in another forward that, that can win some face-offs and is, is pretty responsible defensively. I think that's pretty fair. I'm going to echo what Julian Breezebaugh said when he joined us, and that is that the special teams, he kind of mentioned the special teams and making sure their game is is accelerating as they move into the playoffs. By accelerating, I mean like hitting their stride. And that's a hard thing to to kind of quantify. It's more like you know it when you see it. They really tightening things up defensively, limiting shots, limiting scoring chances, having an advantage in possession. And when the Lightning are really on their game, you see it. It's hard to do that night in, night out. But if you start seeing it regularly as the team heads into the, the the closing stretch and certainly into the playoffs, like you want to see it in the playoffs. But I'm not sure that that's something that you can address with with a move, unlike yeah. your, your point about faceoffs. What Julian felt was, relating to the special teams, he felt that the penalty kill as a whole has had a pretty good year. They had a rough patch that has affected their percentage, but actually the bulk of their season, the PK has done quite well. And he expected the, the, the percentage to go up in the second half based on that. We'll see if that's true. The Lightning have also started to score a little bit more in, in terms of shorthanded goals and, and generate chances shorthanded, which is good to see on the PK. It's not a be-all, end-all. The most important thing is to kill the penalty. But if you can pop in a shorthanded goal now and then and, and be a threat shorthanded, that puts the power play team back on its heels. The power play answer that he gave was fairly simple. Kucherov. I mean, and Point. But Point has been back. Point missed 14 games. But getting Kucherov back regularly is going to have a huge impact on the power play. I mean, I mean, does anybody doubt that? <laughs> it, you know, and, and it's, it's pretty remarkable where they are right now, basically without yeah, Cooch. Yeah, just over 20%. You put him in there, what, I mean, he adds another, I mean, throw throw the percentage you want to to that number, yeah. and all of a sudden that team becomes very good to elite now on the power play. And then obviously, too, you know, how the game is called in the playoffs, I think always affects a team a little bit more who's skilled than it does a team that grinds it out. Because a team like the Lightning, they are skilled. Now, they can grind you for sure. But, you know, they have guys who can do things that some other players can't. And I always feel like, and I, I've said this about, you know, the Penguins during their cup runs, Chicago maybe even to a lesser extent during their cup runs, highly skilled teams that like to play with pace, sometimes they're at a bit of a disadvantage come playoff time because just not a lot of penalties are going to be called. Now, that may change, and that has changed at times. I think in the first round, I, I think 
sometimes officials crack down a little bit more than they do later on in the playoffs, but I don't think you're going to see four power plays a game. You might not see three power plays a game. And for a team that has a Kucherov and a point, I do think if a game's not called the way it should and the referees swallow their whistle a bit more, which I think they tend to do in the playoffs, it does make it a, a little bit more challenging for a team like the Lightning, who are more skilled, that certainly would would have a nice advantage if they're on the power play three times a game in a best-of-seven series, especially partner with a healthy Kucherov, because there just aren't a lot of teams that have what he can do, in addition to some other, other guys on that unit, that can make plays. Well, the Leafs would be one, though. For sure. And that's why I talked no about that at the beginning of the show. And that would be a really interesting matchup if the Lightning and Leafs meet in the first round or even beyond the first round because yep. both power plays would be such a weapon. I like the Panthers' power play, too. I know from a percentage standpoint, they're not at the Toronto level, slightly ahead of where the Lightning are at, 21.1%. But I kind of feel like whenever the Lightning see the Panthers, that power play looks extremely They're lethal. always humming. Yeah, they're always humming, it feels yeah. like. Uh, let's get to one more question before we get to Dan Rosen from NHL.com. This is coming from Brett. He says, has there been any separation between Bogosian and Foote for that sixth defenseman spot? Is that something you guys are going to be watching during the second half of the season? Well, the one thing we didn't mention about the earlier question out what areas of the Lightning's game or whatever, however that fan framed the question, staying healthy has been a problem for the Lightning this year. And it hasn't hurt them in terms of their standings position, but it has affected them to field a lineup that's been fairly consistent. And because of that, Bogosian's missed a lot of time this year. Yeah, It's kind of hard to get a read on on where he is vis-a-vis foot, if that's what the fan is asking. Like, who is the sixth defenseman? I don't think we really have an answer yet because Bogosian just hasn't played enough. I, I think, think that's Foot fair. has progressed this year. I mean, Let's from put that standpoint, foot, foot has been in way more than Bogosian because he stayed healthy after he had the, the issue at the start of the year and he missed some time when he tested positive for COVID, but that was only a few games. He has progressed nicely. I think that, that the people we've talked with on the Lightning have all said that and what we've heard in press conferences about Cal Foot. But there is no question that you know, if you go back to the 2020 run, Bogosian was leaned on a lot during that cup run, and Foot was not. Foot didn't th- get in one minute in the 2021 cup run last I year. Think, I think they'd like to get, obviously, Foot playoff action. I think it's time And he for will him. this and year, will. I think. But they also want to win. And I think you play your best six. And look, that sixth defenseman, whoever that is, by the way, I mean, it could be a, a guy they trade for. It could be Bogosian. It could be Foot. I think they are going to see some opportunities in the playoffs. I think Bogosian at his best, and if you want to say that was last year or a couple of years ago for the Lightning, compared to Foote's best and whatever that time frame has been, I think Bogosian would have more of an impact at this point for various reasons. Veteran guy, I think a little more physical, plays within his limits. I think Foote, we're still trying to find out where he is in his game. I like Foote's first pass. I like Foote's shot. I think there are questions about foot speed and physicalness in front. But I think some of that, as the as he plays a little bit more, 
there are ways to overcome some of those things. Stick on puck is a big deal. He's got a long reach. I think he can be very yeah. effective in front of the net, maybe in a different way than Bogosian. So to answer his question, I think Foot for right now has the leg up, but in no way do I think that's secured. And I think I'm I'm probably stating the obvious. And and folks, quite frankly, if Julian Breezewa felt there was a deal out there to be made to upgrade that spot right now, in my opinion, I think he'd make it. We'll talk to Dan Rosen from NHL.com. Partner, did you want to finish a thought there before we get to? Uh, well, Dan? just if Bogosian can can get back and stay in the yes. lineup, I think some of these questions will get answered. So, real quick, I just looked it up while, while you were finishing up that that question. Here's well, an interesting rambling. trivia question. So, the eight teams in the East, because I was wondering about power play percentages. Seven of the eight teams currently have a power play percentage of twenty percent or higher. Can you can you guess the one team that is below twenty percent on power play of the top eight in the East that are basically poised to make the playoffs? You know, I it's it sounds ridiculous. It's going to surprise you. Well, <laughs> it's going to surprise you. I'm going to say the Caps because Backstrom has been out. Bingo, bingo. They're at fifteen percent. It, That's when, shocking. You gave to me. me a hint there when you said it's going to be shocking because you look I at Ovechkin did. for the most fifteen point three percent. He's been scoring a lot of goals, but who's the guy usually setting him up at times? Backstrom. I mean, he's well, a that's big true. And I guess Oshie missed some time too, but they still have Carlson, Kuznetsov, and they probably eight. under. Yeah, I mean, they've probably underachieved yeah. for sure, no doubt. But uh, you know, as we've seen, look, you take an elite. They're still going to be a weapon. Yeah, whoever gets them in the playoffs is going to worry about their power play. Yeah, when, you, sure when you're that. when you're matched up with the Capitals, you're gonna the, one of the first things you're gonna say, we got to stay out of the penalty box, <laughs> and that yeah. could be them at ten percent. I don't think it really matters. By the way, Co, uh, Ovechkin looks like he, for his sake and the team's sake, will be coming out of the COVID protocol. Malkin, by the way. For the Penguins in the COVID protocol. And apparently he does have some symptoms. And he'll miss the next couple of games. So that's another team that has been... I don't think they've had a healthy lineup all season long uh, either. So very interesting what the East has been able to do. The top eight teams, considering the injuries and players being out of the lineup because of COVID. What they've been able to accomplish. And we're going to talk to Dan Rosen about the strength of the East and so much more when we return. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Should have mentioned earlier, Pat Maroon. Congrats to him. He signs a two-year contract extension. One million Mm -hmm. annually, partner. So there you go. Pat Maroon, who's been, what, he's going for his fourth straight cup? He's going to yeah, and today. we've had some we've had some questions, Greg, about like what are the what are the Lightning going to be able to do heading into next year? Mostly about plot, but right, we were kind of posing. Here are the players that are up. Here are the players who are restricted, and one of those guys was Maroon. And we had said if they decide to bring Maroon back, we figured it would be around the same number, and that is the case. So. He went from nine hundred thousand to a million. That's a one hundred thousand dollar raise, but they lock him up for two more years. I tell you what, I'll I'll go for that that raise. How about you? Hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, I'd be <laughs> okay a, with that. That's a pretty good one. Isn't that what we're paying Dan to join us on Power Lunch? <laughs> a couple hundred thousand. We 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 uh, we doubled <laughs> yeah. it. We doubled it. But let's bring in the senior writer over at NHL.com for hockey. We've had him on before. Always love 
uh, Dan Rosen's uh, commentary and analysis uh, to the show. Dan, great to be with you, buddy. And, you know, Pat Maroon, we were talking off the air a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, I think, you, you know, your typical role player at this point, I think this year when you take a look at how well he's played, he came into camp in uh, a bit better shape. He's playing with Corey Perry. And there was a lot of talk about the Lightning trying to replace the Yanni Gord line. But Pat Maroon, Corey Perry, Belmar, these guys have played pretty well. And I, I don't know if it surprised you, Dan, how well they've played, but they've maybe addressed a bit some of the depth questions the Lightning had this year. Yeah, and by the way, you could take a few zeros off of that, and I would take that raise. You know? <laughs> yeah, and you would. You can add a few zeros on it as well, and I would take it, you know? Um, look, I, you know, it's funny because we talk about the cap and the Lightning's cap problems because you look at the high-end guys, right? Kucherov, nine and a half. Stamkos, eight and a half. Uh, Braden Point, uh, I think he's going up to nine and a half. And then even Sorelli, he's he's close to five, and Kalorn's around four or five in that neighborhood, right, all through next year. And obviously, you know, Hedman and McDonough, uh, Sergachev. You know, these are the high end, Vasilevsky, of course, the high end guys. So what do you do if you have all those high end guys and you want to keep them all? You've got to find million dollar depth players. That's what you got to find. They got that. Belmare, Perry, now Pat Maroon at a million. All three of those guys, Perry, Belmare, and Maroon, are going to cost the Lightning $3 million next year. Toss in Ross Colton, and it's a shade over $4 million, right? I mean, that's four players right there that you're paying about $4 million to, and they're all in your top 12. That's four of your top 12 forwards for $4 million. That's pretty good. Julian Brisebois has got this figured out. I think we are aware of that right now. And I got to tell you, I'm also going to say, and I've said this about Joe Sackett, too, from Colorado, if I'm a general manager and Julian Brisebois' number comes up on my caller ID, I'm not picking it up, okay, because he's going to take me out. That's what he's going to do. He's going to fleece me in a deal. Um, but I, I think it's a great job. I, Maroon has been a very good player for them. He's a strong third, fourth-line depth player. He can get you 10 goals. He can get you 20 points. He's going to play hard 12, 13 minutes a night, and he's a winner. I mean, he's a winner. So I, I, I think it's fantastic for the Lightning. Dan, we've been talking heading into the All-Star break and, and since we came back about the playoff picture in the East. And at least from our vantage point, it looks like the top eight are set. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you feel that this this stretch run is basically about positioning and, and potential matchups in the playoffs? Or do you see one of the eight that are below the playoff cut line in the East having a shot to, to penetrate and get in the top eight? Well... The only team that might have that shot are the New York Islanders. And I say might with a very, you know, I think it's like very low percentage on the might. Um, but I say that because, A, they have been playing better hockey of late. Okay, so that's number one. And number two, the Islanders have only played now 39 games. Okay, losing, by the way, right before... Uh, the all-star break three to nothing against Seattle bad. Okay. Not good. Now they got four in a row on the road in Western Canada, three of them. Um, and they play a lot of road games. In fact, they have two West coast road trips in the next three weeks, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary this week, then they're Buffalo on the road, Boston, and then they're back out to Seattle, San Jose, LA, and Anaheim. It's a lot. It's, it, it's a lot. Okay. But they have a lot of games to make up. 
and they've been playing generally better hockey. So maybe, but they've got 17 points to make up, you know? And by the way, the Bruins have only played four more games than them. So I do think, long, you know, long answer, the top eight are set, in my, in my opinion, in the East. And now it's really just about positioning over these next, you know, two months or so. Dan, to that point, are the two best teams right now in the East residing in the state of Florida? And if so, is goaltending still the biggest difference between those two teams? Um, I hesitate to say that they are the two best because I think you absolutely have to throw Carolina into the mix. Um, so I think those are the three best. And however it shakes out, it shakes out. But Carolina has to be in that mix. They're that deep, talented uh, aggressive, so strong defensively. Um, I was talking to Freddie Anderson on the bench. I, I was doing the skills. I was reporting from the bench, the Eastern Conference bench at the All-Star Skills event. And I was, we were watching the hardest shot together. And Freddie Anderson said to me, uh, it's just, a, I'm just happy we don't give up a lot of one-timers because, you know, these guys can fire it away. And they don't. They don't give up a lot of one-timers. They don't give up a lot of grade-A chances. So I think you have to toss Carolina into the mix. But then, if you want to break it down even further from those three, and you want to say goaltending, well, obviously Tampa Bay has the goaltending, has the best goaltending in that. Not to say that Florida's is bad or Carolina's is bad. It's far from bad. It's very good. But Tampa Bay's got Vasilevsky, and he's the best goaltender in the world. So, I mean, that to me is the separation, and that's why I still have the Lightning as the team to beat in the East. Uh, we'll see where it shakes out after 82 games. But I, if, if all things stay equal, Tampa Bay is the team to beat in the East because they, got, they have great talent, experience, depth, championship pedigree, and the goaltending. Well, when you look at the eight in the East, seven of those teams did qualify for the playoffs last year. The one that didn't, the Rangers, and I know you're close to the Rangers geographically. You see a lot of them. Besides the fact that Kreider is having a career year, what has been the key to their success this year, and, and what has changed since Gerard Gallant took over? Well, number one, the goaltender. Igor Shesterkin has been, in my opinion, the Vezina Trophy winner to this point in the season. He's been that good. Um, he makes up for a lot that the Rangers give up. And they are a team that operates on the rush, fast pace, and they are prone to giving up chances going the other way. They're also prone to lulls. Uh, we've seen it recently where they've gotten out to strong starts and they've, you know, really not finished well. It happened against Minnesota uh, on Henrik Lundqvist's jersey retirement night, Columbus the, the night before. Um, it's happened that to them. And then they've gone the other way where they've gotten off the bad starts and, and been able to recover. So in that sense, I think, you know, they're, they're not a team yet that is prone to putting together. They're not a team yet that you say, well, they're putting together 60 minute efforts, 60 minutes of great hockey every night. They're not doing that. Um, but what's working for them. I mean, Kreider is a big part of it, obviously is their power play is so dangerous. Right now it's fifth in the league operating at, at almost 26%. And a big part of that is Kreider. And, you know, and we call it net front presence, but it's not really net front. It's more uh, post front, you know, and, and presenting your stick and angled stick deflections and, you know, just having it available for guys like Fox and Panarin and Strom and Zibanejad to find it. 
so that's number one. Their power play has been very, very good. Uh, and Shesterkin has been lights out great. He really has been. Five on five, they leave me a little lacking. Depth-wise, they leave me a little lacking. Uh, but, you know, they're they're carried by great goaltending and excellent special and an excellent power play right now. And it's taken them far. And they are certainly a playoff team. But I do think that Chris Drury, their general manager, has got to get them a top six right wing. Uh, and I think they might need a depth defenseman um, to play there. I like Braden Schneider. He's a rookie, young. But, you know, you want a depth defenseman there. Uh, you know, another one just for insurance purposes. And I think they just have to improve their their consistency in game. Uh, but but you got to like it if you're a Ranger fan where they are right now. What do you make of the two old guards in the Eastern, specifically in the Metropolitan Division, Pittsburgh and Washington, both in playoff spots right now? Pittsburgh has had a couple of really long winning streaks this year. They seem to have found some depth. They may have been hit hard by the injuries and protocols, but... Jari's played well, all-star bid, although I think questions still remain, can he do it in the playoffs? And then I think you take a look at Washington. A lot of people have felt like this team has been maybe declining over the last couple of years, but there they are winning games. Backstrom's been hurt. Oshie's been hurt. And Ovechkin's scoring goals. What do you make of those two teams who traditionally have been one of the best teams in all of hockey? I'll start with Washington. I think Ovechkin's the Hart Trophy winner at this point in the season. You know, they've barely had Backstrom. They've barely had Oshie. They've barely had Anthony Mantha. Their goaltending hasn't been that spectacular at all. Yet this guy has been so good uh, and has really, in many respects, with Kuznetsov, carried them. Okay, so I think he's been and really ignited them. He's been that good. But it's a lot. He's 36 years old. He's his 17th NHL season. We believe he's going to carry it through the season. It's a lot. He needs help from his friends. He needs help from the goaltending. I don't buy their goaltending right now. I, I hear what you're saying about Jerry. Until he gets there again, he's going to have to prove it, obviously. But he's had a terrific regular season. The Penguins, as a whole, keep finding guys that fit perfectly into their mold. Evan Rodriguez is the perfect, um, you know, the, the perfect example of that right now. Crosby's rolling. Malkin, he's on COVID now, but he's going to be back and he'll be all right. Latang's having a great season. If I were them, I'd look at you know getting a you know upgrading a backup goalie situation just for insurance purposes, and probably like a lot of teams, adding another depth veteran defenseman, preferably you know one who's been around and played in the playoffs before. Um, just just as a whole, just to keep them you know, for insurance purposes, keep them comfortable, things along those lines, because their D has actually been quite healthy this season. Um, I like Pittsburgh a lot more than I like Washington. Um, of the four teams in the Metro, those top four, I think Washington is a clear four right now, uh, just based on what I've seen, especially with their goaltending. Dan, you had an article come out on NHL.com. You c carried and covered a variety of topics, but one was about some, some potential trade targets i'm just wondering what do you think we're going to see at the trade deadline because on the one hand a lot of the competitive teams that might want to acquire a player don't have a lot of cap room but mm -hmm. on the other hand like we just talked about we may have more sellers than in a usual year because there has been a lot of separation not just in the east but some teams in the west i think are realizing they're not going to make the playoffs do you think we're going to see an active trade deadline because we have a lot of sellers or is it going to be more limited based on teams having trouble making the money work? I, I think we're going to see a lot of activity. I don't know necessarily it'll be 
right on trade deadline day, although it always comes that way. We get some. I think we'll see a lot of activity in the in the days, if not weeks, leading up to it. What are we at now? Uh, we're a little over, a little under six weeks away from it right now. It was six weeks from yesterday, from Monday. Um, so I, I do think so because, like like what you said, I mean, like there's a lot of there's a clear delineation, especially in the East, of, of the teams that are in and the teams that are not. And the teams that are not should recognize that and move some pieces out. And it's starting to look that way a little bit, too, in the West. Maybe not as clear, but you've got guys like Marc-Andre Fleury and Claude Giroux and Phil Kessel and Ben Sherrod. And, uh, I mean, there's a laundry list of guys that could be available that really are could be impact players for, on a rental, you know, in a rental trade. And we talk about the cap. What we have seen, especially in recent seasons, is the cap, while – Yes, it's cumbersome. GMs find a way around it, you know, whether it's retaining, make, you know, tossing in a sweetener so they can, you know, the team that you're, you're trading with retains some salary, uh, whatever it might be, you find ways to do it. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see. Like if Claude Giroux wants to get traded, he's going to get traded. If Marc-Andre Fleury wants to get traded, he's going to get traded. Phil Kessel will get traded. Um, you know, there, you know, uh, it's, it, there's questions, I guess, about Joe Pavelski and John Klingberg and Thomas Hurdle because their teams are still in it. But if they fall out of it, I, I would imagine those guys will get moved. So you're talking about a lot of, you know, impactful players here with big contracts. But I think GMs find a way. And, and, it, and it makes sense, to be honest with you. If you're like if you're the Chicago Blackhawks and you want to trade Marc-Andre Fleury or you're the Philadelphia Flyers and you want to trade Claude Giroux, you know, it makes a lot of sense for you to retain some salary. It doesn't hurt you this season at all. And you can potentially get another asset or two to to facilitate that trade. So I think it makes sense for both sides. You took one of uh, these questions in your bell bag, I believe it was last week, regarding Vegas and Jack Eichel. When everybody's healthy for Vegas, do they have some cap gymnastics they have to do, Dan? And regardless, a healthy Eichel playing at a high level, do they become the, the cream of the crop in the West? Uh, they're close. Um, Colorado to, to still to me is the cream of the crop in the West, um, but they would be close. No question about it. Vegas would be close there, right? You know, be neck and neck. It'd be what a series that would be if it if it came to pass. But to answer your question, the dream lineup for Las Vegas for Vegas, the dream lineup cannot happen if everybody is healthy, because they'd be way over the cap to make that work. They're going to have to make it work with Jack Eichel by probably trying to slide guys through waivers because they're already going to be over the roster limit if they bring him. And remember, defenseman Alec Martinez is also out. He's got to come back too. So they would be over the minimum, the minimum right there. So they they have the maximum amount of players you have. So they would have to probably either move guys or try to slide them through waivers, you know, smaller depth pieces for them. But then you're probably looking at clearing neighborhood of six seven million if not more uh or you know give or take a million or two here or there um and and that's a riley smith that's a evgeny dadanov like that that's that's a top six or top nine forward for you um if everybody is healthy now we've seen it before right i mean just look at tampa bay things happen right you get a guy who gets hurt he goes on ltir bang all of a sudden you can make it work he comes back for the playoffs and that can happen too. So we have to see where it is once Jack is ready to come back and actually play. He's finally taking contact now. But Vegas is going to have to do some everybody healthy 
they're, the lineup you want to see for Vegas can't happen because they're, they're going to have to move out a couple pieces. Last one for me, Dan, you were at All-Star Weekend, and, and one of the things that happened was the the state of the midseason press conference with yeah. Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. What did you take out of what was asked and what was answered at that press conference? Well, I think the two things that um, for me that, well, other than the announcements of next season, Fenway Park hosting the Winter Classic, uh, Carter Finley Stadium in Raleigh getting the stadium series and Florida getting the All-Star game and the international games, the Global Series returning, which I think is all great. Um, two takeaways from me were Gary Bettman was quite honest about how the impact financial, you know, the, the, the impact of not having fans in Canadian markets right now at games is impacting them financially and said some teams have asked to play their games in the United States so they can have fans at the games, which, you know, at least get some revenue, some gate, even if they have to pay a little rent or whatever it is to get some money, it's, it's crushing them financially. Uh, I found that interesting that teams are asking. So we'll see where that, that mandate in, you know, in the Canadian markets goes. And the other one was the Arizona Coyotes, uh, which I think is a very fair question to ask, can the Arizona Coyotes be considered like, is it good for the National Hockey League and the Coyotes if they're playing in a 5,000-seat stadium at Arizona State University? And I think it's a very fair question. And I actually appreciated Gary Bettman's answer when he was talking about, you know, we don't think it's going to be that materially different from what they already have. They couldn't sign a 20-year lease agreement in Glendale. It didn't make any sense for them. That's not where they want to be. Why would you sign on to play 20 years there? They're trying to get a new arena in the Tempe area, in the East Valley. And if it's a temporary home, at the very least, what you have to remember is that Arizona State and the Coyotes would be funding some of this too, is building a state-of-the-art facility. So they would have modern amenities. If they move to another uh, stadium in that market, it won't have modern NHL amenities. At least this one, they can make it that way. So not ideal, but there's if they can get an arena, there's a bright future, I think. Dan, last question on my end. We're here with Dan Rosen, senior writer for NHL.com here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Just the Lightning in general, are you surprised at how well they've performed this year with the losses of Kucherov and Point for an extended period of time, knowing that they're going for a three-peat and how extremely difficult that is to do? Uh, I guess we take them for granted, but they shouldn't be this good at this point, should they? Yeah, they should. They're that good. <laughs> they, are. they are. I mean, look, Steven Stamkos is having a terrific season. I don't think we should be surprised that Steven Stamkos is having a terrific season. He's a terrific hockey player. You know, um, he, he's he's taken he's seen an opportunity here. His team needs him. He stepped up big way, big time. Victor Hedman remains one of the top two, three defensemen in the league. Arguments can be made for who's the best. Um he certainly can have a lot of arguments for why he's the best, right? Kaloran's having a good season. Palat's been terrific. Point when he's, you know, is now back and playing, and he's been very good. Sorelli, too. And then you got Corey Perry, 12 goals. Could get 20 this season, you know? Sergachev's excellent. McDonough's excellent. I, they are a – Ross Colton could have 40 points this season. Um, and then, you, you know, you toss in, they got the best goalie, you know? They, they, they have the best goalie. And he gives them a chance to win every single night. And their backup's pretty good, too. Uh, and, and, you know, so you can trust him, Brian Elliott, when he goes in. They, they, they are that good. And they should be this good, even 
even with some of the you know the the adversity they've faced. All right, so they're going to win their third straight. So it's <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll see about that. But they are that good. And, and it's interesting. Stephen Stamkos was asked, "Does it matter if you win the Atlantic?" And and he was basically like, uh, "No. You've seen it. Look at last year. We had to go on the yeah. road for the first two rounds. We were fine. We're okay. We don't have to win it. We just got to be in it." Well, Dan, I uh, hope you're recovered from Vegas and all the festivities. Great job out there covering the games. And uh, we will talk to you as maybe the playoffs near, and we'll kind of get your thoughts on where we go from there. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate it. Thank right, you, Dan. Dan. Dan Rosen from NHL.com joining us here on Lightning Power Play. Partner, anything to uh, add to that as we sign off? Well, his last answer, I think we had discussed this, like – is the national perspective giving the Lightning, in our opinion, their due for what they've accomplished this year? And I said, I think the perception is they're so good and so deep that it's not shocking that they are where they are in the standings, even though they've had significant players miss a lot of time with injuries. And that's basically what Dan said. He said a little bit more artfully than I did. <laughs> but, you know, he said, they got McDonough, they got Hedman, they got Sergachev, they've got, you know, Stamp Ghost, they've got the guy in net. I mean, he's right about that. But I still think that it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to lay on those players, particularly up front, when you're taking out Point and Kucherov for an extended period of time and asking players to do more. The fact that, that whoever they asked was able to to meet that challenge I don't think should just be poo-pooed away but the national people aren't getting into the weeds on the lightning like we do they don't watch every minute of every game I mean that wasn't all he he answered yeah for sure he does think it's going to be a fairly active trade deadline which part of me that's why I asked the question and framed it that way like I understand there are a lot of sellers and teams can retain some salary. He mentioned the Rangers are looking for a right winger. What did he say? A top six right winger. Phil Kessel might be a great fit for them. I got to be honest. Now, you might say, well, Arizona can retain salary. I, I read somewhere, Arizona, is, you're not allowed to retain salary indefinitely. Like with, with however many players you want to trade, you're only allowed a certain amount. And they only have the flexibility to retain salary on one additional deal. So it could be Kessel, I guess, but I think a lot of the teams that are looking to acquire players are in a tight corner with the cap, not just the Lightning, and maybe teams aren't quite as tight as the Lightning are where money has to go out if even a dollar is coming in. But it's hard to add a guy who's making $5 million even if it's for a quarter of the season. I actually think a team who is willing to buy at the deadline is going to make out better than in a typical year. And what I mean by that, for the reason you just gave, I think if you're willing to take on some salary in addition to the player you're getting, assuming you have that cap space, you might be able to get a better deal. Maybe it's in the in the form of draft picks. Maybe it's... A prospect or two. You're talking about the the team trading the player or the team acquiring the player. I think I think the team that is willing to acquire a player and also take on that salary more so this year than in any other year. I think has the opportunity to say, okay, you want me to take Phil Kessel? We want him. We'll take up some of his salary because let's let's say you don't want that player and and maybe that 
team who's trading Kessel, meaning Arizona's trying to, to fit in a, a certain cap. You know, maybe maybe it seemed like the Rangers are able to get a prospect as well in return because they're willing to take on some salary and Phil Kessel at the same time. I don't know. That's just my guess, although I've heard people who've also made the other argument, that the team that is selling, um, yeah. you know, if they're able to swallow some of that, that number uh, with the player that's being traded, that's, maybe that's all they have to give up. Well, you what's know, we'll Flurry making? Because, I mean, he's the goalie that keeps getting mentioned, and he would have to agree to be moved, right? Correct. So I can see Flurry as potentially more likely. I mean, I guess according to Dan, he feels Drew, Kessel, and Flurry will all get moved, in addition to some other guys. He mentioned some of the guys on Dallas, like Klingberg. I think the expectation is he is going to get moved. But all these guys make big money, yeah, or at least medium money if we want to call it that and teams are going to have to figure out a way to make the dollars work usually when you acquire a goalie though a goalie is going back the other way so if the capitals and that's the team that i know you've mentioned is maybe being interested in flurry i mean they do have two fairly young goalies but some of the money that they need to create to add Flurry will be departing in the goalie they send back to Chicago. But when you're talking about a player like Giroux or Kessel, it doesn't have to necessarily be a player coming back. And and I'm going to disagree with you. I think if you're Arizona, you are not giving up any prospects. I mean, there are going to be enough teams, I think, that want Phil Kessel that you can say, we'll, we'll pick up some of the salary if you need us to, but we want goodies. We want picks and prospects. Maybe yeah, I'm for not a giving... different maybe for a different yeah, yeah. player on a different team, it might be a, a, a different situation, a different story. I think what 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 could throw a monkey wrench into the plans of the Arizonas or the Buffaloes or the Ottawas or the Montreals or whomever, pick a team that's clearly not gonna make the playoffs and they wanna they wanna pick up some picks and prospects at the deadline is you're actually competing with a lot of other teams that are also going to be selling. I think that might drive the price down, but I'm still curious to see how many teams actually have the ability from a financial standpoint for getting what they are willing to give up in terms of draft picks and, and prospects. How many teams can, can make the dollars work to add a Phil Kessel or to add a Giroux? So I think, I think you're right. In theory, I, I, Kessel, I would not give up a lot to get him. I, I, I actually, I wouldn't. If I'm in a contending team, I don't know if I would get Phil Kessel at this point in his career. And this is this is you're even you're if talking, you're the Rangers and he yeah, just said they I, I need just, a I top six Kessel. right now. <laughs> but by the day, Phil Kessel's turned into a playmaker, not a goal scorer. He's got five goals this year. Take a look at his last couple of years. Now you may say that's a product of being in Arizona. Even his last mm-hmm. year in Pittsburgh, he was more of a facilitator than a shooter. I think Phil Kessel at this point in his career, is certainly not a top six guy on a contending team. And that is somebody that you definitely need to have leadership in that locker room to make sure Phil Kessel doesn't do Phil Kessel things. You can tolerate it if he's got a role. Uh, But Giroux may be a a different situation. I think Giroux's an elite power play guy. He'll help you on the faceoffs, too. He's one of the best faceoff guys in the league. I think I would probably give up more to get that guy. And I think you're right. I think Arizona, if they're willing to swallow some of – 
Kessel's salary, maybe they do get more back in return. Maybe um, you're right, though. Maybe there won't be a market for Kessel. I don't know that they would send a prospect with Kessel. I mean, what is it to Arizona? Either they keep him and they let him walk at the end of the year or they try and move him and they get what they can for him. I think sure. it's probably going to be the latter. Sure, But sure. maybe what they get back is going to be less than what some other players are going to fetch for the teams that are moving them. No doubt. Uh, also, too, we should just let people know uh, Darren Radish was recalled from Syracuse today. He was uh, practicing, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. And uh, we'll be getting you set for the game on Thursday, the Lightning getting set to take on the Avalanche. Of course, you can listen to all of that action right here on Lightning Power Play. Partner, we'll do it again tomorrow, noon yep. to one. Appreciate it. Thanks to Dan Rosen from NHL.com. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. Again, if you just joined us, Pat Maroon signs an extension, two-year deal, totaling $2 million bucks. So congrats to him. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that tomorrow as well. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lighting Power Play.